Ezekiel saw the wheel. This is the wheel he said he saw. Computer, status report. Don't blink. Don't even blink. Blink and you're dead. No! It is TalkCast 104, and it's a dark and stormy night here at Sci-Fi Saturday Night, deep in Area 51 at the sub-level 21. I'm the rally monkey at the Occupy Area 51 protest. I'm the Dome. Joining the TalkCast tonight from the Revere Time Vortex, she's hacking up a lung, but she's sitting behind the computer anyway. It's Kriana. Occupy the internet. Occupy the internet. Or something. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's a thing now. From it's totally a thing. thing now. It's totally a thing. Uh, it's totally a thing. Well, it's your thing. And, no, it's uh, not my thing. It. No, it's not my thing. <laughs> <laughs> From the stacks of a personal zi- silent zone in the dank dungeon reading room, she's quiet, but she's here. It's the Zombrarian. Hiya. Oh, she's not so quiet tonight. I'm not. I don't have anything interesting to say right now, though. Okay, well, when you find something, let us know, and we'll just chime you right in. From the Four Color Vault of Comics in Manchester, New Hampshire, it's the man with pencils and pens. It's our own little Edward Scissorhands. It's Illustrator X. Uh, your own little Edward Scissorhands? More like Edward Sketcherhands. <laughs> Edward Sketcherhands. Edward Sketcherhands. Edward Sketcherhands. Totally. They look better than the Cure with uh, never mind. <laughs> I am not going to be Winona Ryder. I'm just saying that right now. <laughs> no, it's the lovely ingenue who's known as Ms. Etch-a-Sketch of 2010. <laughs> Rosie the Riveter in spandex and leather, just the way we always wanted her. It's the dead redhead. Oh, I like that outfit idea. I may try that. <laughs> and from the outpost Gallifrey Nymphomaniac Catch and Release Center underneath the bleachers of the cheap seats of the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, it's our very own Juan Pablo Montoya lookalike. It's awake by John. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we're getting odd. I'm getting even as you're getting odd. Our guest tonight in the second half of the show is Kathleen Marden, a name that is known well within the UFO, UFO commu- ufology community, blah, 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 as the niece of Betty Hill. And we're going to be talking about the Betty and Barney Hill uh, incident. Okay, so for, so for, yeah, those, for those of you who didn't listen in last week, <laughs> stop listening this right now, because I'm assuming you're not listening live. If, if you are, keep listening. But if you're listening to this on tape, stop listening, go back and listen to last week's, and then come back to this one. That way you'll know what's going on. Last week, Jeff Finn, about their new movie, Strange Septembers, half of that movie is based on the incidents that took place with Betty and Barney Hill. Right. Be that as it may, Kathleen, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's great to be with you. Well, uh, you say that now, but... I was going to say, <laughs> just, just wait a couple minutes, just that'll just wear wait off. wait a couple minutes, that'll wear off. The yeah, night is young. <laughs> pretty much. <laughs> 
In any case, that's the second half of the show, Kathleen. You're welcome to join in on the first half of the show where we talk about what's gone on this week in sci-fi. And this week in sci-fi, we had one of the most uh, well-attended polls ever. Yes. And it's and, and it was only up. This. It was only up for twenty four hours. So we made an as of this recording in your region. Recording in your region. In your region, where you may actually be. That we're going to leave this up until uh, next Thursday. So you have until next Thursday to vote and add new people to it. The online poll was dead redhead. Who or what? Was is your favorite evil robot slash android? And I got to tell you, this is some of the best activity and pole jockeying that we have seen for a long time. Is that what? like zombie strippers? Pole you know why? It, it's because <laughs> Dome didn't decide on the topic. Dome didn't decide on the topic. <laughs> it's true. You all know it's true. You all know it's true. We, we have fans coming out of the woodwork, but I have to say, I know, Kriana, you hate to hear it, but everybody is going very old school again. We keep having our top three that everybody keeps uh, going between is a mixture of the gunslinger from Westworld, for those who remember the Westworld movies, uh, TV movies, weren't they? Or were they no, real movies no, no. first? No, no, Future World, and... Future World? No, Future, no. Never Future World was a TV movie sequel. No, okay. no, no, no. Two of them were, were actual movies. There was a third one that was a TV movie. I will oh. get my nomenclature correct, but there were at least two that were actual uh, uh, theater movies. But they became famous on television. Yeah. They would oh, show yeah. them time on I mean, television. It's, it's a little bit disconcerting to watch them without the organ playing along, but... <laughs> <laughs> and it's Organ Roy at his organ once again. <laughs> I think Dead Redhead will cut you for some of those organs. Cut you for some of those organs. Right, that's right. And second, that's actually trying to move in the first place at this point is the original Terminator with the Governor at uh, at the helm, and then third is Lore from Star Trek: Next Generation. Those three have been uh, jockeying around all over the place. I, I just want to say, coming up in a close fourth is Teddy Ruxpin. <laughs> 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 With good reason. But he was freaking terrifying. Teddy, terrifying. The most Absolutely. I had to explain the other day to my student workers what Teddy Ruxpin was because all of them were too young to remember him. Uh, oh, see, now boy. you're starting to know what it feels like. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, you kids, Kriana, get off my lawn. Kriana <laughs> didn't have a Teddy Ruxpin. <laughs> But she did have a talking big bird. Yeah, that's not evil, though. Yeah, that's, that's not totally evil. not evil. That's all good. Oh, it, was it had evil moments. Teddy Ruxpin was pretty evil. I remember Teddy Ruxpin being pretty evil hey, at our college dorms. So. Are Furbies in there? Are Furbies in there? Not yet. Not yet. Hey, folks, come on, all our listeners, we've got some great stuff on here. We've got Mechagodzilla. Come on, Frankie B has already voted for Mechagodzilla. Of course Frankie B would, would vote for Mechagodzilla. We've got the uh, Ash the alien that has the chestburster from the original Alien movie. We've got Roy Batty from Blade Runner. And Somebody we have two insane people who voted for Vanessa, the robot from the TV show Small, Small Wonder. Wonder. <laughs> <laughs> we have Ed 209. 
Come on, guys. Get on there. This is really, really fun. Jump on. Give us your vote. We want to hear what everybody has to say. I will be lobbying for Maria, the robot revolution starter from Metropolis. Absolutely. Right. Love Maria. And, I, and I'm at this point lobbying for uh, Ash from Alien. I if really only think... there was a, If only there was a segue now. No. Well, th that's the thing. <laughs> Everybody who isn't lobbying in our, on our poll seems to be lobbying for Walking Dead because they had one of the best... <laughs> best opening uh, season openers that, that has ever happened. I mean, they, they had record ratings. Uh, 7.3 million, 7. is that 3 right? 7.3 million. You know why? It's because they, they sufficiently lowered expectations. It's true. You know what? It's true. They lowered expectations enough that they met them. Exactly! That's what I'm saying, is that they've sufficiently lowered the expectations so that we were expecting this, like, huge shit fest of crap, and what we got was, like, not bad. Not bad. It was actually okay. quite, quite good. The, so what you're the saying entire is... episode was was looking for a little girl who would run away. What a what a waste. Oh, absolutely. No? Agree. No, Agree. Okay. They they were looking for a little girl, and then they had a couple of crises of faith. What? Okay, okay. The whole amount of time spent on the, the tent at the end, that was like five minutes of like, oh crap, is there something that's going to jump out at you in the tent? And then, no, it's just a dead guy. Like, okay. It's just a dead guy. It's just a dead guy with a sign that says, Occupy Wall Street. Yeah, pretty much. The really annoying thing that I found about the episode, and, and this is exactly what I knew was going to happen, uh, the zombies were absent for most of the show, and when you did see them, they sucked. They didn't look good. Oh. No, there was no. no. There, that that one scene on the on the freeway with the herd that was very was incredible. No. No, it wasn't. All the zombies yeah, looked like out-of-work actors. Yeah, some of them really did. I have to agree with you on that one. There's one shot of this guy, and just the way he was walking was so completely idiotic looking that it didn't look like a zombie. It just looked like a hipster pretending to be a zombie. Now, let's, let's be honest. Zombies can be hipsters. <laughs> No. That's right. I want to be. Not every zombie is a hipster, but every hipster is a zombie. Every hipster is a zombie. <laughs> well, that's the thing. If you ever spend any time around hipsters, you know that they smell like zombies. <laughs> well, I did know that. So. Well, I did know that. The entire audience, well played. I think. Uh, I think the one. The one really uh, annoying scene for me was the church scene. Oh, yeah. that was idiotic. Oh, that was idiotic. That was just That was just ridiculous. And I it, liked it. it was, I'll it admit was, it. I thought it was horribly contrived. And yeah, I, I didn't like the church scene. No, you know what? I didn't mind the, the beginning of the church scene, but the end when, when he was sit, standing there and he was talking. Yeah, yeah. Let me tell you what this character is thinking in case you can't figure it out on your own. Really? Yeah. I that thought was actually, funny the for part any with the zombies was bad, and that was actually kind of cool. Compared to the rest of the episode, the yeah. Horde. The rest of the episode, yeah. If you didn't think the Horde scene was ha had any tension or anything, then you obviously don't have any 
uh, claustrophobia whatsoever because no, no. I mean the, just the, the part thought of where they being were... under a freaking car with this. Yeah. You know, it's not that it didn't have. I mean, I was like it's not that it didn't have tension. It didn't have tension. It was. It was the, the it, and, and them being was, under the, the cars the, and only seeing the feet. Yes, it's a it's a suspense filled scene. But when they cut to all the zombies walking through the cars, I thought, oh, uh, there's like twelve so, of them. Where are the rest? Like twelve of them. Where are the rest? Yeah. Yeah. And they had a few wide shots that showed more zombies, but they were obvious. It, it just. My big problem with the horde scene, my only problem with the horde scene, I will say, I didn't mind the wide shots as much as you guys did. Um, my big problem was recognizing the same pair of shoes go by two or three times. Yep. Oh. oh, yeah. Well, and not only that, how about how about after it was passed, how about after it was passed, you know, what's her name going, oh, what was that herd? And everyone was like, yeah, that's what we should call it. That's not exactly what they called it in the comic books. We're not defining that term explicitly right now. Like, come on. Writers, what the fuck? Yeah, the writing, the writing was, was the writing in the entire episode was kind of horrible. I mean, you you had the interchanges between what's his face and and the wife, you know, who was like, "I'm going out on my own." No, you can't go. Uh, look at my new ride, and it's a Hyundai. <laughs> <laughs> and, no, and, rapist, oh, stay oh, here, oh, stay oh, here. Stay what? Here, stay here. Why? <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, no. And also, my, one of my favorite other product placements was the Gerber knife set. It's an arsenal. Yeah. Oh, I know. Yeah. Oh, I know. And then, and then they had to flash that weird shaped knife a couple times, you know, just to make sure that everybody got Gerber makes awesome knives. Yeah. In addition <laughs> to baby food, yeah. <laughs> Any other? But, you know, disappoint us this week that or horror? Well, Smallville's not on, so I'm Smallville's guessing no. Not on, so I'm guessing no. <laughs> Hey, but if you want to relive it, it's coming to Netflix. Uh, the you uh, apparently American Horror Story didn't have such a good week. I haven't watched any of the episodes, but you guys can speak. I, I haven't seen it this week, not, but I haven't seen it this week. But it's not. See, the first episode had the creep factor set. Really, really well. It had the potential to have the creep factor set really well. I don't think it fully realized all of it, but it introduced some really awesome elements that they could have run with without introducing anything else and been super fine. Like, for instance, wait, can I can I give you a little bit? Can I give you guys a little bit? Sure, go ahead. It's been three weeks. If we're not gonna watch it, come on. Okay, so the coolest one for me. Oh wait a minute! 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 X, shut your headsets yeah. off for just a Come second. Yeah, come on, X. <laughs> oh, sure. Yeah, whatever. No, Go don't ahead. say too much. Come on, guys. You may have other people who DVR'd it like we are and haven't seen oh, it Oh, it's yet. been three weeks. Oh, it's think... been three weeks. No, we just think... spoiled the entire I've had a few things and... going on. And... and it sucks. But you know what? Uh, no, but you think everything sucks. Suck. Yeah, it, it didn't suck. It... You know what doesn't suck? Wait it's... a minute, wait a minute. No, 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 no. We, we need to deal with this. We're not going to segue out of this quite yet. Because the reality, the reality is that they cluttered the crap out of it. They did. They had a really good concept going. Then towards the, the second half of the very first episode, they started layering bullshit into it. And more <laughs> and more and more. And by the end of the second episode, you're going, where, why, how, who, wow. what? Where, why, 
Well, and then, and then after that, the plot of the second episode is just irrelevant. None of the major characters. Totally you know what you're describing? The Matrix. No. Speaking of the Matrix. Okay, spoken like someone who hasn't seen it at all. If you haven't seen it, you can't talk. <laughs> no, I'm saying what you're describing is the Matrix. And the no, it's completely no, not like the Matrix. And I'm not letting you segue out of this because I am damn well going to bring out the part that I liked. And the part that I liked was the maid. The reason that I liked her, spoiler alert, is that when she comes in, she's kind of, you know, late middle aged late 60s maybe mid 60s and when you're seeing her she's with the wife and you know she comes in like creepy i'm the maid you know caretaker of this house i work here one dead eye yeah 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 and then the husband comes in and all of a sudden you see her shot from behind him and she's 20 years old and hot and you're like well shit so what the wife is seeing is not what the husband is seeing and then the way they did that cinematographically was very striking was very striking you know what my favorite part of that episode was we have bats possibly the best line of television ever in the history of anything i love bats yeah it was it was i do well, well yeah. good. Well, I mean, they meant baseball bats, sweetie. And I. Oh, I thought you meant the flying kind. Uh, <laughs> no. Well, no, I, I don't like baseball bats. I like the flying mm. kind. And I love Scarlett Johansson in that cat suit in Iron Man too. <laughs> <laughs> oh, look and who that... pulled a Segway! <laughs> I, I don't know if I should play the sound. I don't know if I should play the sound. Should I? You may not want to. That cue the sound. Marvel. Thank you. You're welcome, darling. Marvel Comics, You earned it. In an attempt to it. Thank you. In an attempt to make money off of anything except good comics. Um is and having a huge and? auction having a huge auction right now selling off a bunch of the props from Iron Man Two and the Hulk and some other Marvel movies, including Scarlett Johansson's cat suit. I thought you'll buy that to drool over it. I was gonna say, That's, you ew. know, nobody but Scarlett Johansson can fit in it. Exactly. Oh, but someone's gonna try. <laughs> Therein lies the horror. <laughs> Wait a minute. What, what was that crazy? What was that crazy girl from uh, Blade Runner? Uh, hey. Oh, um, Chris. Um, no, 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 no. Um, um, um. Yeah, the one who wanted. Hair. To, the one who wanted to play Catwoman. Oh, oh, her. Yeah, oh. so I'm the one that wanted to be Catwoman. Oh, dear. <laughs> uh, oh, we all remember that. <laughs> yeah, I'm figuring she's going to go after it, because she's, like, certifiably insane. Sort well, of. maybe she can settle for the Hulk's pants. I don't know. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. But, hmm. Hulk need pants. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh... Someone, I'm going to make a bad segue if someone doesn't jump in and stop me. Well, at yes. least we're not going to have a... Uh... <laughs> Consider that jumping in. That was it. We're not going to have a bad segue into a fourth Transformers movie because Michael Bay is calling it quits. Yay! Oh, thank God. Now, is there any truth to the rumor that he's going into a GoBots franchise? <laughs> 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 I 
Well, you never know because, honestly, he's probably made more money off of the Transformers movies than most directors have made off of anything in the past decade. But he said that he is in, he has not been in talks to make a fourth movie. So at least when they make the fourth movie, because they will, uh, Michael Bay won't be directing it. So maybe we'll have a few less explosions. Maybe they'll let Megan Fox direct it. Yeah, I don't think it's that the explosions themselves that were the problem. I would love problem. to see Megan Fox's directorial... Uh, <laughs> Careful, Java. Because... Maybe this time they'll actually have a script. I mean, you know, actually have a script with a plot. That might be asking a little much. Asking a little much. But let's I mean, ask for some dialogue right before our plot. Dialogue before our plot. I mean, you don't need a plot. You have you have a title, and the tra- the title tells you all you need to do. Every Giant time. robots. They transform into cars and stuff, and they're from space. I mean, that's it. That's really. We have the evil stuff. transformers on the pole oh, right wait. now. If anybody would like to wait. add, stop the presses. They're from space. They're from space. Just kidding. Yeah, I'm just kidding. You know what else? You know, you know what else uh, about space? It's, there, there's a there's a, a chance that the Battlestar Galactic Galactica movie, which is being produced by Brian Sig- Singer, is going to be rewritten by John Ors- Orloff. He's the guy who wrote uh, Band of Brothers, the that TV show that did really well. Right. Wait, yeah. Wait, wait, really? Uh, More the, Battlestar Galactica? Why? Didn't Why? that wrap up pretty uh, definitively? Money makes the world go round. Uh, the the thing about John Orloff that I think is pretty cool is that when he when he was interviewed about writing the script, rewriting the script for it, he said, "Don't worry, I'm not going to frack it up." Oh, uh, yeah, but if only we could believe that. But like, seriously, they'll make another yeah. Battlestar Galactica, but they won't do a Serenity too. But they won't do a Serenity. The fuck, people. Yeah, at this point. Well, but that's know, okay because Joss okay. has got a new web series that he's working on as soon as the Avengers is finished. It's called Wastelanders. But the cool part, the absolutely cool part, as he's doing it with Warren Ellis. Oh, my. For those yeah, of our listeners who don't know who Warren Ellis is. know who Warren Ellis is. Don't. You might think he's the bass player for Nick Cave, and you'd be kind of right because it's the same name. What you really want to know is it's the writer for Transmetropolitan and many other fine, fine products at DC. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Yep. Thank you. <laughs> it could, be good. To you it by could also be really crap. Yes, it could. I mean, yeah, Warren goes. I still think Transmet was the best thing he ever do- did, and unfortunately, I think it was the first thing he ever did. Um, but Warren can be really great, and Warren can be not so great. <laughs> yeah, it's it's one of those things where it's going to be one of those wait and sees. But nobody really knew what to expect with Doctor Horrible, and well, that was awesome. Nobody knew it was coming. And that was awesome. And that was awesome. And, the the problem know, is that with with Wastelanders, we have some time to to build up expectations, and because it has Josh's Josh's name on it. And Warren Ellis's name on it, you know, you, you start to kind of expect things, right? So, so well, it's it, you know, hey, well, I'm I'm just glad that Joss is going back to doing something on the internet because you know he's made his money off of Aven- Avengers, or he will, 
Um, oh, he totally and, is going. Of course to. they and, will. And you know what? I think that that's that's a great thing for him to do is to go back to making something independently. And I'm sure that he, after the uh, after the rigid structure of producing a major film like Avengers, he's going to want to have a little creative license. And I think that's that it, true. It'll be good. very good. That's Java. a good point. Yeah. Uh, another set of people who want to have some creative license and have made a ton of money off of some films were the Wachowskis. And they're coming out with a new <laughs> film called uh, Jupiter Ascending, which uh, is probably going to suck. Do those, oh, no. do those guys strike you a little bit <laughs> like the Winklevoss that. brothers in Facebook? Like, just don't know when to quit? Well, they didn't know when to quit on Mac. On the Matrix. Well, I know, so it, but I'm it's like, but it's like a parallel situation. It's like they they got the money, they appealed it, got shot down. So there was the Matrix two and three. They appealed again. They appealed again, and then they got screwed over. Although I'll, I'll, I will say this, the Matrix two and three made a ton of money. Yeah, for being lousy I mean, films. Well, that's because yeah. everyone wanted to know what happened. It's like George R. R. Martin. They, Everyone's going to buy his next book just to find out what happened. It's still going to be a piece of crap. It's still going to be a piece of crap. It's still going to be a piece of crap. Sorry. Yeah, it could be. George, I know you're listening. Well, I'm, but, sorry, I mean, that I'm sorry, that was harsh. I'm sorry, that was harsh. We will never, ever have that man on our show. Evidently no. not. Evidently not. <laughs> The last thing the Wachowskis did was uh, was um, Speed Racer. It uh, sucked. V for yeah, Vendetta that was, or that Speed Racer? No, no. Uh, no, Racer no, that was, was Speedo that Racer, and that was the the triple X movie that you. <laughs> um, okay, Ollie, all I loved that movie, and I'll Aww. tell you why. Watch, watch Speed Racer cartoons. We bef- I'd never seen the cartoon before we saw the movie, and and. Uh, Dead Red Hid Here made me watch like the first six episodes in a row, and we watched the movie. I'm like, they did the cartoon. They did. They did what they set out to do. It was perfect. That still doesn't if make it good though. If you are going to see a movie, still make it good though. Oh yes, it does. If you go into a movie knowing that one of the characters is named Snake Oiler, you get what you pay for. <laughs> I was. I had. You like, may have me there. I'm, like, I'm going to see you a movie. May have me there. I'm going to go see a movie that I know is going to feature someone named Chim Chim. <laughs> I have that expectation going in. Yeah, and I loved much. it. Well, of course. You also love Smallville. We've got, you also uh, love Smallville. Yeah, I've heard <laughs> I did not. We have had this discussion many times. No, he was more addicted to it than loved it. No, it was more like, God, I'm going to finish this. <laughs> I hate it. It's kind of like finishing the bottle of castor oil because you what, have to. What's that? Oh God, that god awful Hemingway story. Fish, I hate you, but I, I love the you. The old man in the sea. The old man in the sea. Yes. The old man in the fifty pages of oh my God, why am I reading? <laughs> so anyhow, uh, a lot of the cable networks have done the the disservice of taking really good British series. Uh, and uh-oh. turning them into American series, uh, oh. being no. human was the last oh. one that they did that I thought oh. that was. Horrible. I really wanted to take a hammer to somebody oh. over that one. Don't tell me that. No, no. So don't. Here's the newest one that's in the works, and this is a series that very few people have ever seen in this country for very uh. good reasons. It's a series called Misfits. Oh no! Why? Oh, that wasn't even good in Britain. Why would you do it here? 
No, I, it was incredibly good in Brooklyn. That was a I great show. show. We've turned how many people onto that I show? I can't tell you how many people we've lent the DVD to. Misfits is the series that Heroes should have been. Agreed. Yes. yes. It was it, an incredible series. It's now going into season three in November in uh, in Britain on ITV. And our, our wonderful friends at SIFI have decided to try and make an Americanized yep. version of it. They can't and, and make the person, a version of that show. But the person that the person that they've chosen to do it is Josh Schwartz because his Chuck Chuck is ending. And so they've got <laughs> him on board to do it. We'll see. I mean, you know, it, I know that Dome's just excited about it because it has this sex scene between a teenager and an old lady and he's just, you know, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that does Which, sound like uh, Dome. No. It's yeah, inspire, like Dome. It inspires his imagination. So. No, no. Trust me, I rented that movie already. Thank you very much. Is Dome the teenager or the old lady? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Thank you so there. much. Yeah. I mean, the reality is, Misfits, the, the British version, you can get on Hulu now. I would suggest to anybody who, who's got Hulu Plus, get it. Check out season one. Check out season two. Check out the Christmas special. The Christmas you special. You watch them right through, is, straight through. Yeah. I mean, take a weekend. Put the and weekend then go aside, beat yourself up watch. because you have Hulu Plus. Because you have Hulu Plus. I was thinking that the whole time. I was like, wait, who has? Who still has Hulu Plus? I know. Who I know. Is there a point to it? Is no. there a point to it? No. No. There's somewhat of a point to it for some people. No. Here's another thing. Uh, no. Change, change your. Uh, you use a proxy and just go watch it on ITV. There's, yeah, there you there's go. There's always that one too. Yeah, yeah. there you go. Or acquire it in another time. fashion. Or acquire it in another fashion of your choice, in your region choice. <laughs> <laughs> like legally purchasing the region one DVDs in your so, region. Yes, in your region. We're at the halfway point, cats and kitties, and it's time to bring in our guest, Kathleen Martin. Kathleen, welcome to the show. Thank you. Yeah, now you've had to put up with us. You're still here with us. <laughs> I yes, figured you would have bailed on us at this point. <laughs> <laughs> um, a number of us from the show met Kathleen a month and a half back at the uh, Exeter UFO Conference and Festival, which was kind of a, a weird little <laughs> conference. If ever there was one, kind this is of the weird. weirdest UFO conference. Kind of I think. weird? No, incredibly weird. I mean... This conference had um, many brilliant, smart people yes. talking, yeah. making sense, making their points, and people in tinfoil hats walking around handing out DVDs to anybody who would take them going, look at these pictures I shot. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And it, it yeah, I'll, was, I'll never get that 20 minutes of my life back trying to watch that thing. <laughs> it, 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 was, it was a huge, huge cacophonous dichotomy of people. Wow, that was odd. That was wonderful. Oh, my God. <laughs> and I, I, I remember sitting in Exeter Town Hall uh, prior to Kathleen's talk, which was about an hour long and felt like about 15 minutes. I mean, you know, as bad as the acoustics were, as uncomfortable as the seats were, that one hour went by so quickly, it was ridiculous. Yes. Um, yes. 
the the preceding half hour, however, felt like it. <laughs> <laughs> well, this, yeah. The, there was this gentleman on the stage talking about that parallel Earth, and and the invaders from four thousand years ago. And he has studies, and I'm thinking to myself, my God, please don't let the whole day be like this. And then Kathleen got up on the stage, and I, I, I knew who you were uh, because I knew your background. And uh, Kathleen Marden, for those of us who don't know, was 13 when the events of uh, Betty and Barney Hill's abduction in the White Mountains took place. She is the trustee of Betty Hill's estate and the conservator of the uh, archives of Betty Hill, which are housed at the Milne Archive at the UNH Library in Durham, New Hampshire. She's a lecturer, she's an author, and she's here with us tonight. Welcome! Yay! Well, great to be here! Um, X and, and the Dead Redhead and I were sitting there listening to you, and I was actually sitting in the row in front of them, and we were watching. I, I was listening uh, because I was uh, aware of a lot of the stuff you were talking about. The, the talk that you gave that, that afternoon had to do with the uh, pseudo-skepticism and, and disinformation that's going on. Absolutely. There's and a lot of it. Let's talk about some of that. Um, let's talk about um, one of the things that we talked about last week was uh, when we had Jess and Jeff Finn on was the use and misuse of hypnosis in abduction investigations. Yes. I, in fact, I wrote a paper titled the use and misuse of uh, hypnosis and in abduction investigations. Cool. How does that relate to what went on with Betty and Barney Hill and the subsequent disinformation that surrounds the hypnosis uh, uh, transcripts? Well, you know, pit, hypnosis is not a path to the truth. Hypnosis is a path, a, a subjective path to the truth that may or may not be consistent with the objective truth in anything. Uh, generally, when a person is hypnotized, they will recall and restate what happens. If uh, they're asked to recall a lot of details, there's a possibility that they might confabulate information to add details where they don't remember. And they might do this honestly. Uh, you, can, you can lie under hypnosis as well. Uh, so you have to look at a person's character, uh, if you're, particularly if you're doing a UFO investigation, because uh, there is always the possibility that someone might be lying. But in, in terms of the Betty and Barney Hill UFO abduction and hypnosis. We have to remember that Dr. Benjamin Simon, who hypnotized them, was one of the leading psychiatrists in the United States. Uh, he was who in Who's Who in America. He taught at Harvard. He lectured at Yale and a number of other uh, very prestigious colleges. 
he had been widely recognized within his field for his level of expertise and his accomplishments. So Betty and Barney went to the best person that they could possibly have chosen to go to. And that is extremely important. Also, he hypnotized them separately. One was in a soundproof room, loud music was playing, while the other one was being hypnotized. So the chances of them contaminating each other's information were just about nil. Uh, he imposed amnesia at the end of each session. So they couldn't communicate uh, their memory uh, to each other, what they had said, because they couldn't even remember what they had said. How and does that work, imposing amnesia? What, is that, what does that actually mean? What that means is he instructed them that they would not recall what they had stated uh, at the end of, of each session. He, wanted to, he did this for two reasons. The first reason was the, as they relived this experience, they were so traumatized that he didn't want them to recall all of that information at once because it was so traumatic it could push a person over the edge. The other reason was so that they couldn't contaminate each other's information. Now, based, based on what you knew of them from the age of 13 when this occurred till their uh, eventual deaths, do you think that there was a point at which they actually did talk about the event during that, during that time that uh, Dr. Simon was working with them? To no. each other? No? No, absolutely not. No. They couldn't remember. They didn't remember until he permitted them to remember. He, uh, toward the end of their hypnosis sessions, uh, they underwent therapy with him. Uh, he let them remember what they could that wouldn't be too traumatic. And then he eventually took them both into his office and permitted them to listen to the hypnosis audio tapes. Hmm. That's how it was introduced to them, the knowledge of what had happened. Now, you've, you've listened to, there, there are actual tapes of those hypnotic sessions, aren't there? Yes, there are. And you've listened to, to most all of them, haven't you? I, not only did I listen to most all of them, I listened to all of them over and over again, and I transcribed them for comparative analysis for my book, Captured the Betty and Barney Hill UFO Experience. I thought those tapes would hold a clue to whether or not this was a real experience or if it was a fantasy or a confabulated experience. And so I was looking for statements from Betty and statements from Barney. I was lining them up sentence by sentence, uh, scene by scene, you might say. And uh, it, they, they were remarkably consistent in their statements, down to the detail of how many ETs were standing in a certain location at a certain time, how they moved, that sort of thing. Let's... Can, just want to move sideways for just a second and, and talk about uh, 
the movie that was made of the event that starred Estelle Parsons and uh, yes, the UFO James incident. Earl Jones, the UFO incident. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> I remember seeing that for the first time on television. Uh, I was quite young, actually, and found it to be incredibly disturbing, especially the scenes with Estelle Parsons and the the actor who played Doctor Simon. The hypnotic regression there. Do you, recalling those scenes from the movie and, and listening to the tapes of the original sessions, is that kind of how it happened? Was it, that, it that, is sort of with uh, Estelle Parsons. She um, she expressed a, a a lot more emotion in screaming than Betty did during that scene where a needle was inserted right. into her navel. And this was before amniocentesis and before we were using laparoscopy as well. Um, under hypnosis, Betty was so traumatized that Dr. Simon actually had to end the session early. Um, and uh, Estelle Parsons did a pretty good job of acting it out, but at, uh, a, did a little more overacting than than Betty actually ex- her actual experience under hypnosis. As as much overacting as it was, I found that quite quite terrifying, and I can't imagine that the original tapes uh, would be any less discomforting to listen to. What oh, that was very discomforting to listen what, to. Yeah, yeah, what was it like for you? Um, I'm, I'm guessing that as you were growing up in the family, you started hearing the stories about what went on? Well, when I was 13, Betty called my mother the day they arrived home from uh, their close encounter with the UFO and told my mother about uh, how it had hovered over their car, uh, how Barney had observed uh, non-human entities on board the craft, and that sort of thing. So we, so I knew that immediately. Uh, but it was uh, not until I was uh, later on in my teens and Dr. Simon was actually permitting Betty and Barney to recall uh, the hypnosis sessions that they would stop by the house and talk about their recollection on their way home. Um, um, and it was very interesting yet frightening at the same time. I just want to clarify that because uh, I, I noticed you said that in Exeter as well. So they came home and they did remember having an encounter. Absolutely. Why, well, then why the need for hypnosis? They didn't remember the abduction itself. They remembered the close encounter. They knew that they had been paced by uh, a large, silent, hovering craft, an unconventional craft, for probably about an hour. Um, They recalled a series of code-like electrical buzzing sounds on their car um, that seemed to cause the car to vibrate and this feeling of vibration to pass through their bodies. But when there's an interim there, they heard the first series of buzzing sounds, and then the next thing they knew, they heard a second series of buzzing sounds. They realized they were 35 miles down the road. When they arrived home, 
they realized that they were later than they had anticipated. They had lost two hours. They had no way to account for it. And it, it was, was that it was that two hours that caused the anxiety in Barney. Yes. That that inability to explain what had gone on during that time that began to really gnaw at him during during the preceding weeks afterwards. That is true, and and we have to remember as well that there was some physical evidence there. The tops of Barney's best dress shoes were so badly scraped he had to wear them for yard work after that. He had to buy new dress shoes. He had no explanation for how that happened. The dress that Betty was wearing that night had a two-inch tear at the top of the zipper in the back. The, the hem was torn down on one side, and the lining was torn from hemline to waist. No prosaic explanation for what caused that. She placed it in her closet, knowing it needed to be repaired. The next time she took it out, it was covered with a pink powdery substance. That uh, pink powder or whatever that was had actually degraded the fabric of the dress and permanently stained it, uh, essentially reducing it to a rag. There were also shiny spots on the trunk of their vehicle. They were all the same size, about the size of half dollars. Uh, when a compass was placed over the top of them, the needle would spin and spin, but when it was moved to a few inches away from those spots, the needle would drop down. We had these things, their watches, that had worked fine on the night of their trip, had stopped working and never ran again. So we had a number of different items of physical uh, evidence here that it, uh, were very it, perplexing as well. And a two-hour gap that neither could account for. That is correct. So th once they began uh, their hypnosis with Dr. Simon, it was their understanding through this that it was to be kept confidential, wasn't it? That is absolutely correct, yes. How, how did it get into the public eye? How did it get into Life magazine? <laughs> well, what happened? It was in Look magazine, actually. Look magazine, I'm sorry. What happened initially is that a Boston newspaper reporter had heard about their experience and that they had undergone hypnosis. Uh, it was through a violation of confidentiality. And whoever violated that confidentiality told him what they knew about what Betty and Barney stated in hypnosis. And it was hearsay because it was inaccurate. Uh, but he published that article in the Boston newspaper. It ran for five days in a row. So uh, the, their cover was blown. And then they decided to cooperate with John G. Fuller. He was an author. He wrote the book, um, The Incident at Exeter. And he approached them and asked them if they would permit him at that point to write the book. And so they said yes. And they all cooperated with Dr. Simon as well in writing the book. And that's how it made it into uh, two issues of Look Magazine in October of 1961. The book was published in the fall of that year. So they didn't want it published 
Dr. Simon didn't breach confidentiality. No, he did not. And it took uh, what was essentially some jerk somewhere with distant, with very ba- bad information to break the story so that they, John G. Fuller sought them out to do yes, the story correctly? Yes, uh, he sought them out. They were speaking for the first time to the public at uh, a church in Dover, the Unitarian Church, and it was actually a series of lectures that was being put on by Pease Air Force Base. They were introduced by the public information officer, invited to speak there by the public information officer from Pease, amazingly. And um, they didn't speak about the abduction. They spoke about their close encounter. And then John Fuller, who was in the audience, approached them and presented a proposal to them. So at the same time that they're being actually forced into exposing their hand and doing it correctly, there is this second volley of evidence that's supposedly coming out that isn't quite true. That is correct. And do you did you find in, in looking into this that there was a concerted effort to taint the truth just enough to make it not real? Uh, I'm, I don't know. I don't know. I do know that there has been a lot of disinformation and misinformation about this case that makes it not real. Um, and uh, on, in, in every part of this case, there, someone has inserted misinformation to mislead the public about this. For example, uh, Carl Sagan wrote in Parade Magazine and presented a, a show uh, for a series that he had uh, that Betty and Barney saw only a light in the sky. Now, we know that that is false. They saw a structured craft in the sky, a large, silent, hovering craft. Um, he then went on to, in, in the television series, to show their car driving down the highway in torrential downpours as, Barney, as Betty is uh, looking up nervously at a uh, hovering light while she's... Uh, turning the knob on the radio. All of that is false. The weather was nice. It was a bright, starry night. The visibility was 130 miles from the top of Mount Washington. Uh, she, the radio was turned off, and she was, she was looking with curiosity up at a structured craft, not a light in the sky. So you can see uh, how distorted this information is that the public receives about this case. And, you know, that's what, what drives me to, to talk about this, because I think the, the truth needs to be told. The truth is all documented. I'm not, uh, this is not hearsay. It's based upon the original reports, the original documents. And that's the important thing. Um, 
So uh, we're led to believe that they remembered nothing or almost nothing until the Hills arrived. Tom and Betty had a series of dreams. We're led to to, uh, believe that Betty had uh, many, many dreams and nightmares, and Barney did as well, and they discussed them. All of this is false. Betty had five dreams. They, they started 10 days after the UFO close encounter, and they lasted for five nights and five nights only. That was the end of her dreams until she started undergoing hypnosis with Dr. Simon. Barney did not have nightmares that were reported. So we can see, you know, his more misinformation. Kathleen, if I could check with you, um, what would you say, in your opinion, with um, knowing all of these things as well as you do, and you, I think all three of us found that you had an absolutely riveting presentation in all seriousness, that we couldn't terrorize, it's like, oh, what's the next thing coming up? Um, What do you think are the top three pieces of misinformation that have hurt this case the most over the years? Well, the one I just told you is a huge piece of misinformation. Another one was that uh, uh, Barney was highly emotional through this, that it was emotionally driven, that he was under a great deal of stress, uh, and that Betty had no emotions to this, that she was happy about all of this. That is, very, that is also false. Um, Barney uh, was not under undue emotional distress. It's been said that that's why they took the trip. Actually, Betty had a week off from her job as a social worker for the state of New Hampshire. That's why they took the trip. Um, they, They were both emotional at times. They were both frightened. Anyone, I think, would be frightened. It's reasonable to be frightened when you're having a close encounter with uh, an extraterrestrial craft and find uh, extraterrestrial entities in the road in front of you coming toward your car. I know I would be terrified. Certainly Um, not fun, no. (laughs) No. Absolutely. And, And Betty has it on the record that she... Uh, experienced more terror. She was more frightened than she had ever been in her entire life. So, uh, you know, that's that's another big factor. Another big argument that uh, has been presented is that uh, the, the light that Betty saw uh, was actually the planet Jupiter. And, of course, we know that that is, is wrong. Somebody else has said that it was actually the light on top of Cannon Mountain. And uh, if we look at the evidence, that light blinked out as the craft passed over the top of it. And the UFO close encounter actually occurred about eight miles south of that light. It couldn't even be seen. I was going to say they were going in the wrong direction to to see that light, weren't they? Absolutely. They They were going in the wrong direction. And it wasn't just a light that Betty and Barney saw. It was a structured craft. They saw the windows in it. Barney saw the non-human entities on board the craft. And it's in the original letter 
that Betty wrote to NICAP on September 26, 1961, and it's also in Walter Webb's October uh, 26, 1961 report that he wrote after he had interviewed them for six hours on October 21st of that year. So the evidence is there. There are a number of DVDs that you can buy and books that you can buy. I suggest the John G. Fuller book, The Incident at Exeter. It's an amazing book. I suggest you check out Kathleen's website, kathleen-martin.com. Links to that will be on our podcast tonight. Um, This incident is one that has repercussions throughout the entire UFO community, throughout the entire uh, situation. And now it's time that people start looking at it with the reality of what actually occurred instead of letting other people color their judgment. I suggest that, uh, like the state of New Hampshire, um, who put up a, a, a historical marker for Betty and Barney Hill, that we take the time to actually look at it. I know that there are skeptics out there listening tonight. Mm. How you doing, Scooter? <laughs> Hi, Travis. And he's not. I know that he's been anxious he's to. No, I know he is actually. And the oh, reality I'm is, sign into stream, you bastard. We're going to keep looking at it. <laughs> the text of the marker on the side of the road where it actually occurred, erected by the state of New Hampshire, reads: On the night of September nineteenth, twentieth, nineteen sixty-one, in Portsmouth, New Hampshire, couple Betty and Barney Hill experienced a close encounter with an unidentified flying object and two hours of lost time while driving south on Route 3 near Lincoln. They filed an official Air Force Project Blue Book report of a brightly lit cigar-shaped craft the next day, but were not public with their story until it was leaked in the Boston Traveler in 1965. This is the first widely reported UFO abduction report in the United States. Kathleen, thank you so much for joining us tonight. It was my pleasure to be with you. Thanks for having me. Oh, it was a pleasure for us. Thank you, Kathleen. Okay. Next week, Mike Dougherty of Brown Coats Redemption announces his latest greatest project. Then on November 5th, Comic Art House's Bob Shaw gives us a sneak preview of the guest list for Boston Comic Con 2012. On November 12th, Dave Gordon, artist, photographer, animator, sculptor, and now guest. And on, <laughs> and on November 19th, author Michael J. Sullivan talks about his A Theft of Swords. At least they didn't touch his codpiece. Plus, with Friends of the Brain Jar, on October 30th, see Sturdy Steve Bissett host Saturday Fright Special Spooktacular at the Colonial Theater in Keene, New Hampshire. And on November 6th, meet Buck Rogers, Captain Marvel, and all your favorite heroes at the South Coast Toy and Comic Show in fabulous Fairhaven, Mass. Find Brown- the dome! Browncoats Unite! Track down a copy of the Halloween anthology Every Which Way But Wicked. All proceeds going to Nathan Fillion's charity, Kids Need to Read. Sci-Fi Saturday Night is the official podcast of the Boston Comic Con and of Comic Art House, your one and only source for original comic artwork. Visit Bob and Kim at ComicArtHouse.com for the best deals on original art from dozens of your favorite artists. Tonight's outro music provided by Zanoise. Pick up their CD, The Benevolent Beast, on iTunes. Dome? Well, it's been an interesting night, kids. 
want to thank Kathleen Martin for joining us tonight. From the Revere Time Vortex, she's been coughing, but she's been with us. Sweetheart at the soundboard, Kriana, thank you for all that you do. Oh, I'm here every week. Zombrarian, thank you, my darling. Good night. From the Four Color Vault of Comics, great thanks to Illustrator X and the Dead Redhead. Speed Racer was awesome. Kisses. <laughs> Mouthpost Gallifrey, our gaming editor. Thank you, Java. Goodbye. And this is Dome saying, Genie, shared pain is lessened, shared joy is increased. Thus do we all refute entropy. Good night, everyone. That was the name of my planet. It's also what it was.